And just like that, it's Memorial Day. Hey guys, welcome to the Texture Lounge. This is episode six of season three. And joining me today is Brandis Daniel. She is the founder of Harlem's Fashion Row. I don't know anyone that champions black designers the way that she does. You know, she spent a lot of time doing research. The stats showed that less than 1% of designers sold in department stores were designers of color. And obviously, a lot of us already know that we're not truly represented at annual fashion shows or seasonal fashion shows like New York Fashion Week, nor are we represented in fashion leadership roles. So being the go-getter that she is, Brandis decided to find a solution and created Harlem's Fashion Row as a platform to elevate black designers around the world. And guys, on the 30th of May, which is next Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, there will be an incredible moment for fashion taking place in the comfort of your own living room's front row style. It is HFR Icon 360, a non-profit set up by Brandis herself and her team. Imagine a virtual fashion event championing black designers or designers of color, and you don't even have to go anywhere. The tickets are reasonable. I have mine. They're around $22, I believe. Check for yourself um, on Harlem's Fashion Rose Instagram page and website. And you can also make a donation. I've made mine. Hope you make yours. So reserve your spot. Don't miss out. This is going to be incredible. Enough of the waffling. You know the drill. Grab your drink, take your shoes off, relax and meet me in the lounge. So listen, it's been a while since we caught up. Um, I am so thrilled that you're doing this for, um, you're joining the Texture Lounge tonight. I'm so excited you say yeah, you said yes, honestly. Oh my goodness, of course. <laughs> how, oh, how have you been in general? Um, Real question. I've been good in general. Um, we are we are in Memphis right now. Okay. My daughter, once they announced that her school would be out, um, yeah. we left. So we left actually before things got bad because I was just trying to figure out, like, how in the world am I going to yeah. do all the work to do with the four-year-old? And my husband works a lot. So, mm-hmm. so but I didn't bank on us being in Memphis this, this for long. two months. Yeah. So, um, so that part is a little bit tough, you know, it definitely is tough to, to, to not be there, but we're definitely in a better situation. Like stringent here and, you know, people are Mm -hmm. out quite a bit and I have a sitter for her here and it allows me to get things done and we would have bought a which is nice. Yeah. I am so excited to have with me in the lounge this evening, Brandis Danielle. Um, she is the CEO and founder of Harlem's Fashion Row, fondly known as HFR. Founded in 2007, her goal was to provide a voice for multicultural designers. Several successful brand partnerships included the likes of Google, Coca-Cola, own essence and and many more household names that you guys are all aware of in a historic move hfr did collaborate with nike and lebron james on the hfr lbj 16 shoe which actually was the very first lebron sneaker that was designed by and for women and guess what 
it sold out within five minutes. No surprise there. So listen, I invited Brandis into the lounge because, you know, as you know, the lounge, the texture lounge is all about sharing the multi-layered experiences of multicultural women. And not only is she an incredible entrepreneur, she's also an author, a wife and a mother. So welcome to the lounge, Brandis. How do you balance between all these layers? <laughs> oh, I have lots of support and I have a really big village. Ah. Oh. We need that village, right? So important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here in the Texture Lounge. Thank you. Listen. All right. Look, I'm going to ask you the very first question, right? The question that I always ask my guests these days about their name, you know, um, whether they know the meaning behind the name, what it is and, um, you know, where it originates from. Can you share any context about Brandis, the name Brandis? Where did it come from? So here's what's really interesting about my name. Um, my uncle actually named me Ayana, and that was going to be my name up until the day that I was born. <laughs> and Ayana actually means um, beautiful flower. And so mm. the day of, my mom changed her mind and decided that she was going to name me Brandy. Um, my godmother told her she couldn't name me Brandy because that was like a wine. Uh. Um, <laughs> so then my mom thought, um, you know, I'll name her Candace. I really like the name Candace. And some kind of way she ended up um, just combining the two. And and so that's how Brandis, you know, that's how the name Brandis was born. Uh, creativity at its best. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I do like it. Ayana. Okay. Um, also a lovely name, beautiful name. Do you know where that came from? Beautiful flower in what language? Do you know? It was in um, Somali. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Listen, well, thank you for sharing that. It's always a little itch that I have that I want to scratch ahead of the, the interview just to kind of dig a little deeper into um, the meanings behind our names. Yeah. I love that question. So, Harlem Fashion Row. You've had this going since uh, 2007, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. What started that for you? Where did the idea behind HFR come from? So I always say I wish I had some like grand strategy to share (laughs) that like I came up with this big elaborate Mm -hmm. plan and executed it. But um, I think a lot of times when your purpose finds you, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't show itself all the way. So for me, it was, I'd been in New York for two years. I was working for, um, an apparel company doing production. And while I was there still trying to figure out like, what am I truly passionate about? I like my job. I didn't love it. And I went to a fashion show in Brooklyn. It was a smaller fashion show at a restaurant with a friend. And while we were there watching, you know, the models go down this runway, I thought, you know what? I want to do this in Harlem. And Mm -hmm. that one thought is what really birthed the entire thing. So I had that thought that same day I decided who I wanted to be in the show. I selected a date. And then I had to go about, of course, asking all of these people to to, to trust a complete stranger for the most part um, with a name they had never heard of, mm-hmm. Harlem's Fashion Row, which I made up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, um, and, and, it, and it was tough. But as I, you know, eventually um, four out of the five that I asked that yes, after going back to them probably, I don't know, 10, 15 times, um, they, you know, they said yes. But throughout that process, 
I started to do a lot of research on designers of color. And as I was researching, I was like, this can't be true. There's no way that I can only find four black designers. And at the time, maybe like two Hispanic um, or Latina designers. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, that for me was, um, it was almost like my aha moment. And I said, oh, this is why I felt so passionate about this idea. It's because I'm supposed to create something that will be part of the solution for this challenge. That is so powerful. Um, you know, and actually in this episode, what we're going to be navigating are what, what I'm going to be calling or what I call the other F words, right? So obviously you hail from the the, the realm of fashion, right? Um, so in, in order to make this a little fun, like I wanted to break this interview up into the, the key F words. And right now we are exploring the force, right? The mm-hmm. feeling uh, mm-hmm. where it all germinated from. And you clearly found and felt very strongly that there was a niche um, opportunity and you were the, you were going to be the solve essentially. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm bobbing my head. You can't see me. Um, you know, so, <laughs> sort of, right? Because I think sometimes when there is a force, you don't really know that you know, you don't think, oh, there's a niche or there's an opportunity or yeah. I didn't. Right? Yeah. All I knew was this was something that broke my heart. And I always tell people like the thing that and I actually borrowed this from someone. But the thing that you're kind of supposed to be doing in life, a lot of times it will be something that breaks your heart. And so every time I looked at those numbers, it was like, this breaks my heart. Yeah. I have to do something. Um so that was, but it was a niche. <laughs> I just, I just wasn't strategic enough at the time. <laughs> that way. That's fair. That's fair. So clearly you had the motivation to go, right? You had the motivation, you did your research, you found out that the numbers of, you know, multicultural designers out there just went where they, sh- they should have been. I have a, in terms of bringing your vision to life, were there any, what didn't you have at your disposal to get you to, you know, move perhaps at the pace you wanted to? Um, and then how did you work to acquire them? That's such a great question. Um, I didn't have anything, not, not much, Zero. let's say. So okay. I didn't have any money. Um, I didn't have any connections. Mm. Um, New York is very much about like who you're connected with with and who can introduce you. And a lot of opportunities come from someone being able to say, okay, yeah, they're good. You can work with them. And so I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have any influence. Um, I didn't have like a ton of friends in New York at the time. So there, there were all of these things that I didn't have, but, um, the thing that I had was this incredible passion for this. And, in my mind, like it was already done. It was just a matter of all the pieces coming together to get it done. Mm -hmm. And from that, you know, I had met this group of women who I had started like hanging out with and partying with in New York. Um, But they were asking me questions like, hey, what do you need for this event? And I am a person that if you ask me what I need, you should probably be, you you have to be prepared for honest answer because I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. And so um, (laughs) I, you know, they would say what you need. And I said, I really need a gift bag and gift bag items. And then I had a friend who, you know, would go door to door and she was the vice president of NBC at the time, the youngest door to door getting gift bag items for me. I had another friend who we weren't that close at the time, but she's like, what do you need? I said, I need wood for a runway. And she went to Home Depot and picked up wood. 
Amazing. Over for me. You know, um, I had friends who said, What do you need? I said, I need food for models. Like, will you sponsor the food for models backstage? So I would say, you know, one of the ways that I acquired a lot of the things that I needed was by taking people up on their offers. And when people offered help, I actually accepted the help. So that's, I want to, because the next question I'm going to ask you is, you know, for all those budding entrepreneurs out there, like what are the top tips that you would give them, right? For, for, for people who are, you know, perhaps they feel like they're living in the world of imposter syndrome, right? Like they, they feel like they don't deserve what they, you know, the idea that they have, or perhaps they're perfectionists and they're procrastinating from actually hitting the go button. Um, but before I even come to that, I think that one of the conversations that I'm constantly having with peers is that, you know, peers who are looking to start their own thing is a lot of people don't know how to ask for help or mm. even how to accept help. You know, they feel that they are um, somehow bringing themselves down to some kind of low level. And it's re- you have to leverage your tribe is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is something, when you see someone who is so passionate about an idea and they are going towards that idea full throttle, right? And I was, I was literally full throttle, like working my day job during the day. I was also going to school part-time at FIT, but (laughs) every other waking hour I was working on this idea. And as a matter of fact, not just working on it, I was talking about it constantly. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure I drove everybody around me crazy. And (laughs) I think when you see that kind of, like you have to allow yourself to go after something like that in that way. It's kind of like, you know, with love, sometimes we try to hold back. We're like, I don't want to, I don't want to fully embrace love or I don't want to embrace this friendship because what if I get hurt? And I think even with business ideas, sometimes we try to protect ourselves from being hurt. Um, And so we give it, you know, 15% effort and we're hoping that it picks up steam, but that's not how it works. You have to give it all you've got. And as you're giving it all you've got, it's going to attract all of these other like people. People are going to instantly say like, well, how can I get on board? Like they see this. Yeah. This, this, this movement. Right. Going on around them. And they're just like, wait a minute. Well, how can I, how can I help? And I think we've all had that moment in our lives where we've had someone around us going towards some goal with like so much, um, you know, passion that we go, well, well, how can I help you? You know? And so I think, you know, when you're, when you allow yourself, when you let down your guards and you allow yourself to go towards a goal in that way, you will be surprised at the people who will just say, look, I see what you're doing. Like, I just want to know, like, is there anything I can do? And then we have to have the courage to be honest and say the thing that we need, knowing that that person on the other end could help us or they could reject us. But we have to be courageous enough to say it. So rather than you answering the next question, right? I think you have already answered the tips for budding entrepreneurs out there. I'm just going to summarize what you just said. You can agree or you can tell me if you want to add a different tip or, you know, I guess add to it or not, right? So it sounds to me that you're saying, one, you've got to leverage your tribe. Number two, go towards your goal. And three, be courageous and say the thing that you need. Would you say that that's accurate? 
accurate. Powerful words right there. Super simple. I think um, it's simple, but at the same time, it's, 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 it's a brave thing. You've got to be brave, it sounds like, you know, and just be comfortable with the possible discomfort. And there is definitely going to be discomfort along the way, but you've just got to get the ball rolling and uh, go towards that goal. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move to the the second F word, fashion. That's what we're here to talk about at the end of the day. (laughs) So describe your personal style. Like um, if, you know, just knowing Brandis and who you are in your your day-to-day, like what is your personal fashion style, Brandis? So I'm going to have a very honest and vulnerable moment right now. Oh, please. I am am actually rediscovering my personal style. Oh, so probably for the first entrepreneurship, um, literally, <laughs> it it took so much out of me to me that I that it was even though I was working on a fashion company, fashion was the last thing I thought about. Ah, interesting. So, um, I have over the past year had have had so much fun, like shopping from designers of color. Mm-hmm. Um, finally at the place where I can actually shop their brands, right? Because, because oh. for a long time, I was putting every penny I made back into my business, but yeah. shopping designers of color, um, and, and really discovering like what I love and it's been a fun process. So I am still in a process. I'm in a discovery phase of figuring out, you know, what I love. I can tell you, I love a great blazer. Okay. Um, you know, I, I love a great blazer. Um, I love anything that reminds me of the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so those are the things that I absolutely love. I also love the seventies. That's an era that, oh, you know, yeah. several things for my grandparents from the seventies that I keep and love. Um, and then mm-hmm. lately after the partnership with Nike, I've become a little bit of a sneaker head, which I never was before. Oh, really? Yes. Ah. <laughs> oh. I love oh, me some sneakers. I, see, I never was. I was never. So now I have more sneakers than I've ever owned in my entire life. Um, wow. But I, I will say one thing. So my goal was to have 80% of my closet be designers of color. And I am so close to being there um, that it just makes my heart smile. So every season I kind of take out the things that aren't by designers of color and I give them to my friends. And my closet now is like bursting from the seams with, you know, uh, Fee Noel, Kimberly Golson. Kimberly Golson, I have think I think I have every suit she's ever made. Oh. In her collection. I just buy her whole collection. When she comes out with one, I buy every suit. Oh, <laughs> so, my gosh. Brenda, so, the pure fact that you have goals on what percentage of your closet oh, is, yeah. I am, you have no idea how inspired I am right now. And I am reevaluating my entire closet as we speak right now well you know why because well first of all because you know I I am very passionate about designers of color clearly um but also like every time I wear something to me by one of them I'm wearing their story right and I know their story so it's like every time I wear Kimberly Golson I can't even tell you how much confidence I have wearing because I know her story um there's a designer actually who's based out where you are, and I can't. Ula, Ula Company, which you would love to me. Ula, but she has okay. beautiful gift dresses, and there's a dress that I have from her. I bought it at a trunk show, and it was um, a vintage fabric she had gotten from Japan. And so every time I wear that dress, it's just like 
it's like I have all these stories in my closet. So it's very different from just clothes. It's like my my closet is packed full of amazing stories of these incredible designers who um, are making it despite not having any investor and, you know, yeah. figuring out and starting from scratch. So that is probably what I love the most in terms of like my wardrobe. I am smiling so wide right now, especially when you said I am wearing their story. Have you like, yeah. I don't think most of us have ever really thought about it that way, right? Like actually donning on an outfit and engulfing, you know, the personality or the, you know, the, the characteristics of the person behind the outfit, you know, that put it together, that designed it, yeah. that visioned it. Yeah. And that's the beauty though of, of shopping from smaller, you know, black designers or Latina designers, because you can literally interact with them. Like you can, like you can have a conversation with them over email. Um, you know, I remember I, I ordered a sweatshirt from Kimberly recently and mm-hmm. she saw that it was a white sweatshirt and she emails me back and go, are you sure you want this white sweatshirt? <laughs> Why do you not wear white usually? I don't, white, I don't, I don't wear white well. And she had all these other colors that she thought would look better on me. Okay. So it's just, you know, and Feed Noel, her her um, style is so relaxed and you feel like yeah. you're on a resort. And yep. because that's who she is, every time I wear something from her, I just feel like a cool, cool kid. That's, like, it's just. <laughs> I, I love anyway, it. I love that's it. That's what I love the most about style is, is like wearing these stories. Agree. Ah, oh, beautiful. So listen, we all know what the media wants us to, you know, think is fashionable. But in your definition, what should fashion mean? Um, I really, fashion really should, I think it should like invoke an emotion. Like I think fashion should be um, our way of telling the world a story about us. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we don't always think about that, but you're telling a story every time. So not only for my end, am I wearing someone else's story, but, but through their story, I'm also telling a story. Yeah. Um, I had a meeting, uh, I spoke at the gap or maybe, I don't know, last year. And, um, I was thinking about what I wanted to wear. Right. And the gap is very like denim and shirts and, but that's not me. I love to get dressed up. Yeah. So I'm never going to wear like jeans and a white, um, button down to a meeting. That's just not my style. Sure. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to wear this suit. And it was a white and gold sparkly suit to me. Oh my gosh. To gap. I bet you looked so fabulous. They were probably like, we're so underdressed right now. <laughs> and in that moment, I really was making a decision that a, this is what I want to wear. And I feel great in this. And maybe someone else thinks it's too early in the morning for this outfit, <laughs> but going in this way is going to make a statement and it's going to say that I know where I am, but I know who I am. Right. And I prefer to go with who I am versus where I am. And, and that Mm. was, and I did, and I felt so great about it. Oh, I love it. You're just dropping some gems here, like too many. I'm trying to keep up with you right now. Okay. Listen, so since, um, Harlem Fashion Row was launched back in 2007, have you actually experienced, um, firsthand any dynamics or changes, shifts in the fashion industry since then? Can you, can you tell us about some of those? Yes, it is so different now. Um, I think that's why I have a little bit of concern during this time. I'm just hoping we don't go back to where we were, but, Mm. um, in the, in the very beginning, 
no one wanted to talk about race. So it wasn't just, you you know, that the fashion industry didn't want to talk about race, but designers didn't want to talk about race. Even if they were designers of color, they didn't want to talk about race. Um, You know, people who worked in the industry, like they would not want you to mention their race ever. Like people didn't want to be associated with HFR because they knew that we were specifically talking about racial diversity. Right. Um, and so that piece was really hard. I mean, there was some times I had some real moments, um, tough moments, kind of walking through those years. And then the past three years, something happened. I think it was, was it 2017 or 2016, maybe 2017. Um, actually, there were all of these articles that came out about fashion being racist Um, Mm. I don't even know like where it came from, but it started and it was um, this website who was monitoring how many designers of color were actually showing during New York Fashion Week, how many Mm -hmm. models of color were showing. And I'm familiar. You remember? Yeah. New York Times was writing about it. Wall Street Journal was writing it. Every fashionista refinery, everyone was writing about this. And during that time, um, Someone very powerful in the fashion industry called me and asked me for breakfast. And it was someone who um, didn't want to talk about race before. Uh-huh. And we but I had always kept the door open because I believe that you always have to create bridges. Right. You yeah. can't like just say, oh, this is who you are. So I'm not going to talk to you. So I just always believe in, in creating bridges and try not to take things personally. And so we had breakfast and we had the most honest and vulnerable conversation we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And um, that was such a shift um, in this industry. I think after, I don't know when this happened either to me. I don't know if it was after Obama got elected or I don't know when it happened. But at some point, black people finally said, I'm black and I'm, we had a 70s, I'm black and I'm proud moment. Yeah. And people start saying stuff like, I'm blackity, blackity, black, black. (laughs) And so, you know, we finally, it was like the fashion industry started to really acknowledge race as a challenge that we have. And um, um, it started having very honest conversations, which was so rare. Mm -hmm. And then people of color who were in fashion finally started to stand up and be very proud of their race. And there just started to be this shit. And I think it was also happening in Hollywood and it was happening in other industries as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we're in a much different place than we were when we started in 2007. It's possibly also going to be probably all kicked off around the time of the Me Too movement as well. You know, yeah, where a lot of different industries, to your point, were really just starting to stand up for the you know injustices that were happening potentially so is there anything that you're still yearning to see in terms of changes in the industry brandis and and if so what is the role that you're playing towards contributing towards that realization yeah i am still um waiting to see a designer of color that builds a multi-billion dollar business you know even in 2020, we still don't have a brand that's owned by an African. We don't have a billion dollar brand that's Mm -hmm. owned by an American. Yet we spend $22 billion a year or more on apparel and apparel products. And so we spend so much money on apparel products. But here is the interesting thing. We influence 
even probably 10 times more than what we actually I know spend. it. And so <laughs> it's just when you look out there and you look for like, can you, I mean, can you really name one big, large, you know, brand that's owned by African-American? You can't. And, and, and so that is a place that I really want to see us get to. Um, one of the things that we're doing right during this pandemic, I was really, I really felt led to start a nonprofit. So I am actually in the process of my paperwork right now with um, a wonderful woman who's helping me get it all together. But we're starting a nonprofit and we're doing our first fundraiser on May 30th. Um, nonprofit is called HFR Icon 360. Mm. And Basically, um, the fashion, entertainment, sports, and philanthropic world coming together to support designers of color. Oh, powerful. Congratulations. Thank you. So when do you think this will be up and running? In the next couple of weeks, it should be up and running. Okay. But all of our um, profits from our ticket sales for the event on the 30, 30th is going towards this fund. And is the, uh, I guess the event will be a virtual one? Oh, yes. Okay. We're actually doing virtual for the entire year. Well, I will definitely be looking out for it. And if there's anything that, you know, we can do to, to share what, um, some more information with our listeners and followers, um, about the event, I'll be sure I'd be more than happy to. Sounds like a really great opportunity to increase visibility for, for this industry, for this segment of the industry. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, okay. So for those, new designers of color that are popping up and, you know, looking to press the go button and get their, their thing on the road. What's the best way for them to attract visibility to their work? I think the best way for them to attract visibility is to create amazing work and to tell your story constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, we used to live in a world where, your brand could be over here and then you could live over there Mm -hmm. and you could separate the two. And right now we just don't live in that world. And that's one of the challenges that I'm even having with designers. They have this incredible work, um, great aesthetics, but they are trying to kind of hide behind their brand instead of being the voice for their brand. And at the end of the day, there is nothing or no one that can speak about your brand and more, you know, better than you. And so you have to be willing to put your voice out there. You have to be willing to be the face of your brand. You have to be willing to um, build community around your brand. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you you have to step from behind it. And why do you think they're hiding behind it? A, a lot of creatives are, you know, they just want to show the work, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, that was me too. With Harlem's Fashion Row, I didn't even feel worthy of the company. And so for the first three years, I didn't tell anyone that it was me who was behind it. You know, very few people knew. Um, I I felt like an imposter. I didn't feel like I, you know, I didn't have the fashion pedigree, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have relationships or the influence. And so I just kind of hid behind it and just wanted the work to speak for itself. When in fact, like I did myself, and HFR is such a disservice by doing that. And so it's, you know, a lot of times it's just, we don't feel worthy, right? So we'll rather just put our work out there and and, and, and we're thinking that our work is going to open its mouth and, t- and talk to people. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and it's not. And it's not. And, you know, and so it could be like a worthy conversation. It could be, you know, some people just aren't comfortable being in the spotlight. Yep. Um, so they hide. 
you know, we just don't like to put ourselves out there because the moment you put yourself out there, you're putting yourself out there for both acceptance and rejection. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are deathly afraid of rejection so much so that we won't even, we won't step into where we're supposed to be. And we don't want to live a life of regret, right? So it's best we just step out there and, and put it out there for all to see. Yes. All right. So we've all heard a ton, a myriad of different things that happen, you know, myths that happen in the fashion industry. I want you to debunk one popular myth. I said myth. <laughs> debunk one popular myth right now about the fashion industry. What comes to mind? That is glamorous. You know, people think that it's so glamorous. Um, and I have so many friends who work in all different facets of this industry. And there are glamorous moments, but the majority of it is like incredibly hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people like see stylists, I always say like, to me, that's like one of the worst jobs in fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have so many friends who are in styling and I'm like, how do you do this? Um <laughs> You know, when I see like all the clothes are schlepping from this place to that place for fittings and to bring a hundred outfits to a fitting, you know, for a person to pick three. And it's just but but the only moment you see is when the celebrity is wearing the clothes and maybe Alice is beside beside them. So it's it's not glamorous. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So listen, from a percentage point, you know, 100 percent being. The fashion industry is super glamorous. Like in your experience, what level of glamour is there in this industry? Five to ten percent. Five to ten. Okay, that's drastic. Really? Seriously. There you go. I'm I'm really serious. All right, listeners, for those of you who thought that it was, you know, 50% to 70%, you heard it, you heard it here first from Brandis, 5 to 10%. So let's level expectations yeah. here. Yes. All right. So listen, we're moving on to the next F word, fears. Okay. We all have some level of fear or we've experienced some level of fear at some point in our lives, right? And we've come to, for for the most part, I'm sure we've overcome some of them. There's some that we're probably still exploring no matter what age or level of career um, we are in. But Brandis, did you have any confidence killers that you kind of went through in your time coming up? I have them even now to me. They don't go away. So, I know. But they change, right? The same ones they, you had when you were younger, maybe different now. I don't know. They change. Um, I'm always talking about cliff jumping, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. in order to really see what your life can truly become, you're going to have to take cliff jumps. And those are, you know, risks. So that's, you know, this is where you feel like you're led to go. You're not sure how it's going to turn out. There is no certainty there, but you take the leap, right? Mm -hmm. And throughout my journey, like I haven't gotten to a place where I cannot take cliff jumps. You know, doing this event on the 30th is a major cliff jump. There are so many fears I had around this. And, you know, we're shifting everything to virtual. And I'm learning that virtual is a entirely new world. Yep. And there are, you know, you send ax letters out to people to be a part of it. And there's the fear of, are they going to say yes or no? Are they going to think I'm crazy? You, you know, and so all of those things um, still come up, you know, even for me. So I can't even, it's not, and those are saying that some of the same fears I had 13 years ago. Mm. So I think, 
you know, it's, it's like, how do you keep moving, you know, regardless in understanding, like, how do I just keep moving? Like, I just need to keep momentum going. Um, I think a lot of times we feel the fear and then we stop. Yeah. Or, or we slow our momentum down to a crawl. Yeah. And so that takes us like two, three years. And the, the, the tendency for me always is to say, nope, let me push it back. Let me push that back mm-hmm. because you start to realize, wow, this is going to take a lot. Do I have what it takes to get all of this done? Nope. Let me push it back. Right. And so I think, you know, I've had to learn to say, I'm not pushing this back. This is the date of when I'm going to get this done. And I'll just have to do whatever it takes, you know, to figure it out. It allows you when you put your allow yourself to be in a high pressure moment, um, it really gives you an opportunity to be creative. You start to Mm -hmm. delegate a lot more. Um, You learn a lot about yourself. I think anytime you're trying to like ghost pressure, you miss out on so many great opportunities. And then time um, just you know, t- so much time passes and you still haven't done it. Mm. So you just have to go for it. So to you all listening right now, um, you should go to Brandis's website. I'm going to tag all the details in the episode show notes so that you can head over there because she does have a free ebook available called it's cliff jumping, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And for, so for you guys who are, who literally feel like you're on the precipice that you're deciding whether to go or not go, like just take a read and spend a moment and, you know, soak in all the, the wisdom and the, the detail in there. It's, it's short and sweet. Um, and I think it's the, it'll probably be the motivation that you need. It will be the motivation that you need. Um, so check it out on the website. Oh, thank you. Uh, of course. Okay. So listen, what would you say you wish you knew before you started your career? Um, I wish I understood that. I wish I understood what sales and marketing was. Mm. Um, I wish I understood that no matter what business you're in, you have to be a salesperson. And um, and so you might as well get the skill set to be able to do that. Right. And so. That is the one thing I wish I fully understood for a long time. I was, I just thought, oh, I'll just hire someone to do marketing Mm -hmm. or, oh, I'll just hire someone to do sales. And it, it never turned out the way it could have turned out if I had just taken the time to make sure that I was prepared to do both of those things. Um, Because once again, Again, no one can sell your vision like you can. Nope. No one. And when it comes to marketing, though, so many of us like to do everything but marketing, like you can have the best product in the entire world. Um, you could have, you know, flown to Italy and picked out the cows that you were mm-hmm. going to use leather for and went to the factory and went through all this trouble to make sure that, let's say you're doing a shoe, was just right. But if you don't market that or understand, understand how to market that you've wasted your time. Yeah. And so I see a lot of, you know, people who have these great products, whether they be books or, um, a product that they've come out with, but because they don't understand marketing is like 70% of the work, it just, it never goes anywhere. And so that's something I think everyone looking to start a business should have. 
Okay. So if you've got a business, guys, the, you've got you've got to learn how to sell it because nobody else is going to sell it for you or not in no. the way that you will. Right. Okay. Now let's just talk about failures, right? Because they're going to happen, right? There's, there's no way in life, uh, there's no way that we can go through this world, you know, without experiencing the ups and the downs and the failing and the falling. Um, and you talk about cliff jumping and whether you're going to survive the cliff jump or not. Like there are so many different, so many different avenues here, but can you share one of your biggest failures that you're willing to share and, um, and then how you, you know, what you learned from it? I have, so it's funny because I don't really, um, um, I I understand the question, but I don't always like frame these things as failures, but I can tell you what other people think would be failures. So, um, first of all, I can tell you, I've started so many ideas and quit them. Like, and I'll give you a specific one, but I've, I've started so many ideas that I thought I'm going to do this with HFR. And then I started doing it and I'm like, I don't really love this. So I just quit it. Mm -hmm. And I think, that is totally fine. I think it's better for us to quit something we know that we don't love versus um, trying to force it to work. Great tip. But um, last year, I had a situation where we were, we had great brand partners for our fashion event, um, but we were like a day before the event. And and I don't think I had gotten one sponsorship payment in. Mm. (laughs) We were we were uh, doing this event at the top of the World Trade Center. And that situation for me was, um, you know, it worked out and it was fine, but it was so incredibly stressful. Mm. Even talking about it, like all of those emotions come up, right? And there was so many things that had to happen. Basically, a lot of miracles (laughs) had to happen (laughs) to make sure that everything lined up for that. And so I walked out of that and I thought, Brandis, how after, you know, 13 years of business, how could you have put yourself in that position, you know, so close to the event? Um, This was this, you know, I kind of really beat myself up about Mm -hmm. it. And then I said, you know what, for next year, I'm not going to count on anyone else to get sponsorships for me. Um, I'm not going to wait until the last minute. Anybody who wants to partner with us is going to have to partner with us in December for the entire next year. And I just spent my entire fourth quarter doing nothing but um, partnership work. That was Mm -hmm. it. And I had never done that before. And the only reason I did it was because I had had this quote unquote failure. Mm -hmm. And so now we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Right. But because I had built all those relationships fourth quarter of last year and went so hard to make sure that our year was fully covered by the end of last year, we're in a great situation. We're in a great position. And so the thing about failures is that a lot of, by the way, if things had went very well, Mm -hmm. I would not have gone that hard in fourth quarter for sure. Mm, True. True. I know for me. (laughs) (laughs) So even when you have a quote unquote failure, a lot of the times it's preparing you for something and you don't know what it's preparing you for, but it's preparing you for like the next thing. Um, and it's really like like a setup, but you have to go through that thing in order to be able to move forward. Mm. It's like a character building thing. Yeah, totally. A character building thing. But, you know, essentially failures are, they end up being lessons, 
you know, and it's up to you whether you want to take from it or not. Totally. So when was the last time you tapped yourself on the back and you said, well done? (laughs) Because sometimes we don't get the chance to just sit back and say, you know what? I did good. We just end up going through the rigmarole of the day to day and look for the next thing that's on our to-do list. So tell us when you last pat yourself on the back. Last week to me. Yes. (laughs) So... You know, through the middle midst of this again, we had all of these brands that were committed for this year. And I said, you know, for three weeks, I think I did like everyone. I like, you know, was under the covers and trying to figure out what was happening in the world and just getting up to feed myself and my daughter. (laughs) And then I snapped out of it and I said, okay, what are the three things you need to do? What are the three things you need to do? And I was like, I need to confirm that every partner who's with us is still with us. And there were like two other things, but that was like my number one thing. I need to secure and make sure that we're good. So I did full pivot plans for everyone. And then we did pivot decks for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, went through that with brands and I had a brand that told me, um, she said, Brandis, we've cancel all of our partnerships for second quarter except yours you have the best pivot plan we've seen nice and I was like you know what we did that (laughs) (laughs) yes you did my assistant helped me with it and I said you know what I'm gonna give us a pat on the back for this because that's hard it's hard we're we're in a very tough situation we're battling you know the mind and really trying to keep our heads in the game when there's also all of this stuff going on around us. And, um, that, that was tough for us, but, but I definitely gave us a pat on the back. Yeah, man, that's good. I mean, there's so many brands out there right now that have slashed their budgets for the rest of the year because of COVID. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm pleased for you in this instance. It's great. That's really awesome that you were able to, you know, keep your partners, you know, um, involved and still excited to partner with you this year. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a miracle, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fire. Fire, fire, fire. So what, tell me about, what are the sources that you turn to, to reignite your flame? You know, because sometimes we're go one day and sometimes we maybe don't necessarily feel like doing the thing, you know, the same thing again. So, so what do you, what do you turn to, to reignite your flame? There are two things. Um, one is the book of Joshua. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book, but it is my favorite book in the Bible. And I have probably read it like 20 times. Okay. Um, so that's like number one for me, like everything about that entire book, like gets me going. What is it? it's, about it. you know, you know, Joshua was afraid, you know, and, um, God kept telling him, do not fear, do not fear, do not mm-hmm. fear. And he would get into another situation where he would be so afraid. Mm-hmm. And then the people would tell him, do not fear. And it's just like this reiteration that I don't feel good enough to do it, but don't fear, like go, mm-hmm. you know, where I don't feel scared, but go. So that's number one for me. Number two is, um, podcast. Oh. So one of my podcast is uh, Masters of Scale. And it's by um, Reed Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn. Yep. And I have been listening to, they have this series right now on all of these CEOs that they're interviewing um, 
it's like a special series on what they're doing right now during this crisis. Okay. And I love that podcast even before this, but even now, like, it's like, I'm learning so much. Like I listened to the CEO of Panera Bread the other day and mm-hmm. he was so inspiring. Um, so, so I listen to, I listen to podcasts. I, I am a huge nerd when it comes to books and podcasts and, and different people. I'm going to have to add uh, Masters of Scale to my list. I'm a, I'm a big podcast listener myself. And um, I think it's such a great way to digest new like information, right? From a it absolutely huge is. variety of sources. So I'll go check them out for sure. Thank you for sharing that one. Yes. And then what about the people who ignite your fire? Like, are there, could you name three people who have influenced you um, in your career or even in your life to date and why? Yeah, my best friend is probably like, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Um, she ignites my fire because she's um, she had she got lupus when we were like 20 years old, seniors in college. And I have watched her battle this thing with so much grace and so much faith and so much hope and so much support for me. Like she hasn't been able to live out her dreams, but mm. she's like the biggest supporter of my dreams. And so I can call her and tell her, hey, I've decided that I'm going to build um, a runway on Mars. And she'd be like, so how are you going to do it? <laughs> I think you can do it. You can do it, Brandis. And so she is definitely um, one of my favorite people. Um, my husband, who is so insanely supportive of me. Like he, I tell people all the time, my husband negotiates for me like I'm Michelle Obama. Um, <laughs> Good, good. That's how it should be. I hope my husband's listening. (laughs) If anybody ever books me for speaking and they have to deal with him, God bless them. Um, (laughs) And um, I'd probably say my mom. My mom Mm -hmm. has been my champion um, ever since I could remember. And she, you know, she was the one who, when I said, I want to move to New York from Memphis, she's like, go, go. You know, and I said, I want to start business. And she's like, go, you can do it. And my mom is a prayer warrior. So she's always mm-hmm. praying for me. And, um, just always somehow like she, she believes <laughs> that the things I say that I'm going to do the things that I say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, those are my three. Okay. Fundamentals, right? So I want you to pick one skincare product, one makeup product, hair, and one fashion essential that you are like, I cannot live without these. Okay. I got it. So, so for skincare, it has actually become aloe vera gel. Uh Uh-huh. That has been a little miracle something for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I have all of these fancy products because I have all these friends that are editors, but I love pure aloe vera gel. Go to sleep in it and you'll see your Uh face. Sleeping in it. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, For hair. I have tried so many different products. I know. Haven't we all? (laughs) (laughs) So, so many different products. Um, But my go-to, well, in terms of making sure that my hair is like good and and looks good is to make sure that my scalp is oiled. So I'm about to listen natural stuff, right? So I do olive oil and vitamin E in my scalp. And those are game changers for me. Okay. Um, and then for, what was the other one? My skin, my hair. Makeup and then uh, a fashion essential. 
So makeup. So makeup, I've started to use um, NARS again. I had gone away from NARS and I just started back using NARS and I love it. And Bobbi Brown is another brand that I have mm-hmm. in my makeup bag that, that I love. Um, those have become my go-to. But what are you using and- within NARS specifically? I'm using the foundation. Um, I wish I had the name of it. I could. That's <laughs> fine. My makeup, but I'm using the, the the. It's a full coverage foundation okay. that I love. Um, it's it matches my skin so perfectly. Perfect. And it's been great. And I've been using bronzers too, which I didn't use before, but now I'm like mm. so into bronzers. Okay, cool. Um, and then for fashion, I think. Mm, what's been like my like jeans have been my new thing. Like I've, you know, I've started to buy a lot of jeans. Uniglow is a brand that I've just started to really dig a lot in terms of um, their jeans. And, um, and then just the designers that I work with, like I'm always shopping them. I just bought something from one of them the other day. So Taylor Day is one of my new favorite designers for this time because she has all of this like loungewear that's easy and flowy and comfortable, but still really cute. What was her last name? Taylor? J. J A Y. J A Y. I'm going to look her up. I really need to um, broaden out my, my knowledge of um, designers of color out there. It's definitely a thing that I'm, I'm, becoming more and more passionate about, especially moving out to Oakland. You know, I've been in Oakland now since since June last year. And, you know, I've really been spending a lot of time figuring out, like, where am I going to spend my money? And, you know, where are the boutique um, stores that champion designers of color? And I did find one a few months ago, um, Sherry McMullen. Yes. 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 Yep. Yep. She's one. And I was going to tell you, Taylor J is actually in Oakland. Oh, I didn't even put the two together. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. So right after speaking with you, I will be looking up Taylor J. Awesome. And then maybe I can get my, my uh, wardrobe to at least 50% at some point in the near future. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get your goals. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, we've got to try, right? So, at this point, um, Brandis, is there is there anything that you want our listeners to know about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, this is your opportunity to to put it on the table. Um, I think I want the listeners to know that I think that they are incredibly brave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about bravery earlier, and. I think we've all done something very courageous in our lives before, right? Mm-hmm. There's something that we've done that we look back and we go, I can't believe I actually did that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was a really courageous move. And so I think anytime you're feeling the fear, I'm just going to ask that you go back to that moment when you were so brave and remember that person. Um, in terms of HFR, I would love for all of your listeners to attend our virtual event, um, Icon 360 event that's happening on May 30th. Mm-hmm. That is um, all the proceeds from that, again, are going to go back to designers of color in June. So we're just excited about that. That's it. Amazing. So where can they, uh, where can my listeners go to to find more information about you and um, also HFR? They can go to my website, brandisdaniel.com. 
Um, my Instagram is the same. And for Harlem's Fashion Row, they can just go to harlemsfashionrow.com. Okay. Again, I'll tag all of these at the, um, on the website and uh, with the, within the show notes as well. Okay, Brandis, this is the point of the interview that is supposedly the fun part. I hope okay. everybody heard, I hope, I hope that everybody has found the interview so far far. And I, I know I definitely have, I can't speak for the world, but I'm sure they absolutely loved it and it was a lot of fun. But this is the lightning round, okay? Okay. So a series of quick questions and you've got to go with your gut instinct and tell me the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Spicy or mild? Spicy. Spring or fall? Spring. Are you an introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Lipstick or hairstyler? Lipstick. West Coast or East? West Coast. Uh, Jill Scott or Erica Badu? Jill Scott. <laughs> Stay at home or lift the ban? Stay at home. Made up mama or naturalista? Made up mama. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> uh, Kobe or Jordan? Oh. oh. I, I had to throw one <laughs> slammer Kobe. in there. Kobe? Okay. And then finally, say it or don't say it? Say it. Brandis. You brought so much joy to my day and my evening. Thank you so much for being in the lounge with me. I'm so pleased that you were able to share some gems and tell us about your story and motivate and inspire. We spoke about all the F words um, as they relate to fashion and, and your experience. Um, I'm, I'm truly honored to have you here in the lounge today. This has been so much fun, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you, Brandis. And please stay in touch. I will. This was so much fun. I love that you're doing this. And by the way, you're an incredible host and moderator. You're excellent. So that means you're an excellent public speaker too. Thank you. I really do take that um, to heart. I Thank you so much, Brandis. I do appreciate yeah, it. This was fun. 